I think everyone's always going to feel a level of guilt <laughs> or I'm not doing what I should do. When you talk about prayer, I don't, I've never talked to too many people who say, oh, I couldn't pray one more second a day because, you know, I'm all into that. I've never heard someone who said, you know, I'm there, I've arrived. Um, but I've also never heard anyone say, oh, when it comes to soul winning, there's not a person I meet that I don't get, you know, I've never heard someone say, why, well, you know, I wish I was more bold, I wish I was better with that. You know, I, I feel bad I haven't talked to anyone in quite a while. That's most of what I hear. And so we're going to read this text, Romans 9, 1 through 5. I'm going to read it to you, then I want to make a couple of preliminary remarks about the context and so how, how I want you to hear me tonight, and then we'll look at the text itself. Romans 9, 1 through 5. I am speaking the truth in Christ. This is an oath formula. He's very serious, and so he's going to, make, he's going to swear. Kind of picture these first verse or so as a courtroom where he's on trial, and he's going to verify his statement calling on two witnesses, himself and his own conscience. He just wants you to know, if you're a reader, that this is solemn as it gets for him. I speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm calling on, you see, God is my witness, right? And here's what he's saying, that I have great sorrow, mega, is that mega great sorrow, Unceasing, the word is used in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, um, be unceasing in your prayers. Remember that verse? That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed. Read it this way. For if it was possible, I would take your place in hell. Okay? And cut off from Christ... For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now, I read these, this is for me anyways. I read this verse, these verses, and I immediately want to say this. I want to be like that. I want to be like that, meaning I'm not. Um, I want to desire the salvation of lost people like Paul did. Um, look at the descriptive words. Great sorrow, okay? Great sorrow, um, unceasing anguish. So here, here's what we're not talking about tonight. You know, the RCs come... And they show slides, and you watch something from, you know, one of those ministries of missionaries with kids in other places, and their stomachs are all bloated, and the flies are, you know, and you go, oh, man, it brings tears to your eyes. You feel bad. You may even write a check. Not talking about that. This is great sorrow. But what kind of sorrow? It's, it's sorrow that doesn't leave him, because it's unceasing anguish. And the word anguish, in some translations have been used to describe someone being tortured i mean i mean paul would say this when i know that my kinsmen jewish people are not saved by and large it's like torture to me i mean and it doesn't stop i just it's not like i felt sorry and i'm watching this video on a sunday night and then by the time next sunday comes around i haven't thought about it anymore 
or never crossed my mind, never entered my prayers. It didn't make me go out and read someone or give them the gospel. But that, for that moment, I was really moved by it. See, that, he's, not ta- he's not talking about an event that moved him for a, a moment or two. No, this is what he's like. This is his lifestyle. So I read that and say, wow, when's the last time I ever felt like that? I know our, our theme has been one by one. I mean, or who's your one? And have you felt like that about the one person you're trying to reach? When's the last time? Great sorrow to me, I think, of tears maybe. Maybe I fasted for a while because I was moved to. Unceasing anguish. I mean, I, it can't get it off my mind. I mean, here's what... if. I, I put on here, if this was me, they'd have to say, um, my small sorrow and my occasional anguish. Occasional. So, far from where Paul is. Um, And then he says this in the text, I mean, literally... He says, if it were possible, for, could, if I could wish. Now, he knows it's not possible to be cut off from Christ because what did the previous chapter and eight at the end say? Well, what can separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, he knows the theological truth is if you're a Christian, you can't lose it and you can't be separated from it. So he knows this is an impossibility, but he's talking hyperbole because he says, but if it was, if there was a possibility that I could give my eternal salvation and share it and substitute it and give it to somebody else, I would. Now, you remember when Mike Listina gave his kidney to Sandy Steele? Remember that? And more recently, remember Gabe Cobania gave it to his cousin, right? Now, I, I am floored by that. I mean, you would give, Gabe gave it to a relative. Mike Listina gave it to a Christian relative, so to speak, Right? And if you're going to have someone cut you open, take out your organ, give it to somebody else, which may jeopardize your well-being down the road. I'm thinking like, wow, it doesn't get a lot more sacrificial. And, and so those people do that. And I go, man, would I have done that? I mean, I love Sandy Steele and I don't know. I know his cousin somewhat, but I'm like, if I was a per- perfect match would I have done that? But I, mean, but I thought, well, if I would, listen, it's one thing to give someone your organ, right? But to give them your eternal salvation? I mean, wow. Really? I mean, wow, I say. That's, I hate to say it, that's not where I'm at. I, I'm not sure I would. And I'm going to tell you more about who he actually gave it to in a little bit to make you even more shocked. So I'm thinking like, wow, would you forfeit your eternal salvation so that somebody who's been a rejecter of the gospel, who has spurned every time you've told them, you're going to give them, so you basically, so they go to heaven and you go to hell? I'm saying that that's probably the most out there love I've ever heard of. So the question is, I want to be like that. How do I get from where I am, which is not there, to where he is. And so I want to share it with you tonight. And I think the key phrase in the verse, it says, for I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish, and he says, finish it, ready? In my heart. So that's what I want. I want to get Paul's heart. Because if I have Paul's heart, then I'll have his love. I wrote down in my notes, and I hope you'll listen 
I put down that we need more than feelings of anguish and sorrow to reach lost people that we know, but not less than that. So I, I, I came to the realization, you know what, if I'm going to win people to Christ, I need to feel their lostness. I need to feel, now I know that you know, in our circles that feeling isn't so, and I understand the dangers of all the feeling, I understand all that. I understand feelism, I call it, and all, I know all that. But Paul's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of saying here, you know what? My relationship and love with God in Christ is so powerful that it, it stirs up these feelings, right? They, they do stem from an amazing faith. There's no doubt. So I know the source of them. But he says, listen, if you're going to reach lost people, you have to have more than feelings, but you at least have to have that, not less. And so I'm going to ask myself, where do those kinds of feelings come from? That sorrow, that anguish, where does it come from? And it comes from his heart. But what kind of heart? And I wrote down, you can, this is a study on your own. Three times in Paul's epistles, he gives us a glimpse of his own heart in his own words. And I take that to be incredibly important. Only one time in the Gospels does Jesus talk about his own heart. And Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. So if, when Jesus describes his own heart as one of meekness, power under control, I, I take that to be an incredibly important passage. Paul has three of them about his own. Romans 9, 2, we just read. The next one is Philippians 1, 7. He says, this is the, he does this stuff for the Philippians, he says, and here's the reason. Because I have you in my heart. So Paul's got this big room in his heart for lost people, so it drives them even to hell for them. And by the way, talking about Philippians, it also says that in Philippians 1, 23 and 24, that he says, I'm in this strait between two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to stay here, which is more needful for you. So here's the, here's the kind of love pe- Paul has for lost people. I'm willing to stay out of heaven, and I'm willing to go to hell. I mean, that's the extreme reaches that he has. I, I, I'll stay out of heaven longer, and I, will, I would go to hell if I could. I mean... That's a love that very few Christians ever attain. But Paul did. He had this capacity to have people in his heart. The other third one is Philemon 1.12. All of them are relational contexts. He says, because this is my own heart. When you do this for me and you help this slave, he says, you're doing what's in my heart. So Paul is this amazing theologian that Romans, as an amazing book of theology, has made so clear these chapters preceding this ninth chapter are incredible theology, some of the greatest in the Bible, but he's not this stoic um, uh, guy who is in a classroom setting talking about theology, writing things on the board, only reading books. No, that's not this guy. He is that, all of that and more, but he feels it. Theology often is... people think is sterile and unfeeling and, and is really not people-oriented. Paul says, in my mind, he's saying the best theologians should also be the best evangelists, and I think he's right. So a brilliant mind and a burning heart don't have to be opposite of one another. They can go together. And so he says, as we look at the text tonight, and one, one more thing, lastly, can I say, um, in the context... Romans 9 is some of the strongest evidence for God's sovereignty and salvation. When he talks about election and that he chose Jacob and not Esau, 
and he talks about the doctrines of grace and how God planned before time about who would be saved and who wouldn't. I mean, you read the rest of chapter 9, and there's an incredible amount of theology about sovereignty and God's salvation. But can I tell you this? Listen, sovereignty and salvation doesn't dim the fire and the flame in Paul's heart to reach people. He doesn't say, well, God's sovereign, so why do I have to do anything? No, I mean, for him, the sovereignty of God drives him more. The fact that God's in control of it and that people will get saved only sparks the flame of the fire in his heart more, not less. And so when we talk about Faith Baptist Church, God is sovereign in the process of salvation. I hope that you don't take it that you don't have a responsibility to reach people because God's going to get her done. Now, the idea is that he's going to get it done, but he's going to get it done through you because he's not only sovereign over the ends, but the means. So chapter 9 and verse 1 says, I'm speaking the truth. And can you circle it? If you do that in your stuff in your Bible, I'd recommend it. Key word is in Christ. In Christ, because now, now we're going to go back and circle it. I want to show you where does that, where do you get the kind of heart he had? That's our main point. In Christ is the key. Ready? Circle it because back in 839, it says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other, any, any, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. What, what does it say? In Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go back to chapter, I'm sorry, go back to chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So in Christ is a phrase that frames the entire chapter, chapter 8, before we get to our text. All right? Because everything he's going to talk about theologically is what it means to be in Christ. So 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. There it is again says it one more time in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Set you free what? In Christ. So in Christ, at the beginning of chapter 8, in Christ at the end of chapter 8, the whole chapter is what have you? What has God given to you in Christ? What does it mean to participate in Christ? And he's going to tell us. And So I am going to take a few minutes. Please follow me. Because... You're going to understand why he starts chapter 9 and verse 1 with that very same phrase. I tell you the truth in Christ. Because he's picking up with everything he just told you in chapter 8. Because that's what gives you this kind of heart. You have to have the right thinking. Remember, it's a brilliant mind and a burning heart. Both. It's not one or the other. And most people want to say, I have a brilliant mind. I know the theology. Someone asked me a question. I can answer it. And some people, well, I've got a passion. And I go out there and I just love people. No, God says it's both. It's truth and love. That matter. And so he says the theological reality is not a sterile relationship, this in Christ part. Can I say it to you? If you're writing notes down, in Christ also is accompanied by in chapter 8 of Christ's in you. So you're in Christ, but also says Christ is in you, chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. So is that just some theological position that we know that's up there in the air? I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. It's invisible. I can't see it. What does that mean? Well, no, it means that there's a love relationship going on. Let me show you that in chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 28, you all know this text. If I asked you to repeat it, you could probably paraphrase it pretty well. And we know, we know that all things, we should, I should, let me read it right. And we know that for those Circle it. For those who love God. So so remember I told you that in Christ is reciprocal. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. It works both ways. And so does the love part, which is the expression of being in Christ. 
He says, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay? So if you love God, it's going to work out for your good. The all things are every part of salvation. He's going to tell you that in the next verse or two. Everything about your salvation is going to work to the end and completed. It's going to all work out for your good. Doesn't mean every circumstance or situation. I know it's popular. That's not the text. But he says it's all going to work together. Why? Because you love God. But what precedes that? Now watch the rest of them. Chapter 8 and verse 35. He says... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 39. He says, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. So how does it work? Well, you're in Christ and Christ in you. And how will you know that? Because you will love God and God will love you. And he will continue to love you no matter what takes place in your life. So our relationship vertically in Christ is a particular kind of love relationship. And that is Paul's love for unbelievers horizontally. I call it the chain of love. John refers to it this way. We love him. Finish it. Because he, yes. So we are in Christ, and then Christ is in you. We love God because he first loved us. So God loves us first, and then we love him. But watch what the text is going to tell you in chapter 9. We love God because he first loved us, and we love others because he first loved us. So I would say to you, how do you get Paul's heart? You have to be in Christ and know in a deep way that love that he's talking about. And I would tell you, it's not that you're afraid to talk to people. It's not about your personality that you're more shy, and I'm not denying that those aren't true. It's not because you might ask, be asked a question that you can't answer. It's not because you're not really around lost people, and you lack the opportunity. All those things are true, but that's not the bottom reason. I would tell you tonight that the reason we should do and don't do more evangelism is because it's a heart issue. It is for me. And I could tell you this, I'm at church all day, and I'm in the office, and around pastors and staff and the school people, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't, you know, that's not a reason. That's not a reason Paul hung around missionaries all the time, worked with them, traveled with them, but he went out of his way to do it. You know why? Because, Paul would say it this way later in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ compels me. I would tell you this, the more that I'm in love with Christ, and I realize he's in love with me in the, in the right way of thinking about that, the more that moves me to reach lost people. Because I have his heart. I believe Paul had the heart he had because he had Jesus' heart. Being in Christ means that I'm involved in a love relationship that as it grows, changes everything in my life and compels me despite the answers I don't have, the personality I wish I had, the communication skills I don't have, that I would still do it anyways. I have seen parents who normally would never give up to give a speech can't stop talking about their children right? Which is a good thing, right? And I've seen people who you know, I wouldn't think are so outgoing. I, I'm telling you, when it comes to, you know, hey, doing their favorite team and yelling, screaming for them, they become unglued. 
It's amazing how you're reserved until it's your team or it's, to, it's your child or it's, to, you know, and then you can find the ability to do and save and, you know, and say and all we got to do. Somehow we miss it when it comes to Jesus. And I think the, the missing of it, the bottom line is that we just need to grow into a deeper relationship of love and understand all that means to be in Christ. Um, I don't have time tonight, and I wish you would. I'm reading on it furiously because it's my goal for next year and preaching. But to know what it means to be in Christ is huge. It's used 170 times in Paul's writing. 170. Some have said that it is the web that brings all of his theology together. That if you don't know what it means to be in Christ, you will not get him. Location is everything in Christ. I read a book recently called The J-Curve, and it talks about how to rise, die in Christ, and rise with him every day, practically. And for Paul being in Christ, before he was in Christ, he was in Judaism. And all that he was, that was his story, in Judaism. And he was a Benjamite, and a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And all that he was, and the credentials, and all the acclamations he had, He said, but when he became in Christ, he stopped doing all those things. Because here's what he, listen, here's what he realized. I can't be in Christ and in Judaism at the same time. I think that's part of our problem. Is that we want to be in Christ and in sports, I would tell our teenagers. That was me. You know, I wanted to say I was in Christ and have all the blessings and benefits of it, but not any of the behaviors that went with it. I want to be in Christ, and some people, I want to be in Christ, but in my career, in Christ, or in my academics, or in Christ, in the things that I buy and wear and drive. And See, we want to have the in Christ part of it. But Paul, Paul says this, for what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. See, I want to gain Jesus, but I don't want to lose any of the other things. I want to be in Christ, but I don't want to stop being in all the other things. Not because they're wrong, but because I count them loss. And I think that those two things, in Christ and whatever else you're in, are alternative stories that can't be merged. And I think the problem is often, I want to be in Christ, but because I'm in all these other things, and you have to list the ones that apply to you, I don't have time. I'm not in this story, so I'm not in Christ, so I I don't have that love that I ought to have. You know why? Because I'm loving so many other things, and often distracted by them, even the good ones in that list, that I don't really think about lost people, or pray for them, or spend, I don't have time. It isn't really my number one story. And Paul says, It's my story. It's what I live for. When I get up in the morning, this is it. It bothers me all day long. And at night, I go to bed thinking about who am I going to reach. By and large, that is not us. We feel guilty about it and would like to tag it on somewhere when it's convenient for us. But most of the time, it is not. It's not convenient for us. So the problem in American Christianity is I want the gains but no losses. I want the benefits without the behavior of being in Christ. Now watch. I say that because it's in the text. Let me show you and I'll be done. There's a pattern. When you are in Christ and the love of God is active in your life, this will be the pattern. Now he's going to show it to us in Jesus and then he's going to tell us in you. So look at the verses in chapter 8. Jesus suffered, 832. God did not spare his own son. And the word spare is 
is the word that means to give up to, to not spare from something that was harming him. He didn't spare him the suffering, the crown of thorns, the whip, the cross, and everything, that, the spitting, the mocking, the slapping, the punching. He didn't spare him any of those things. So the pattern is, here's what it means. Jesus suffered and then Jesus died. 34, Christ is the one who died. And then it is, verse 34 again, resurrection. So here's the pattern. Suffering, dying, rising. He says he's also who was raised. That's the pattern. That's the Christ pattern, right? He lived his life suffering, dying, rising. This is what he was all about. Now watch. And so should you and I be if you are in Christ. Verse 35, he says, we also have the same pattern. Watch, remember it's suffering, dying, rising. Verse 35, what shall separate us from that love? He wants you to be confident because you're going to do this too. You've got to be confident that it's not going to ruin your relationship, cut you off. He says, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, Famine, nakedness, danger, sword. He says, listen, you're gonna, you may suffer for Jesus in all kinds of capacities. And it is your lot. If you are in Christ, you will be like Christ, he says. So don't worry when you stand for him and live for him and witness for him. It may cost you a lot, if not everything. But you can't be separated from God's love. You're going to suffer. And then he says, listen, and you are going to die. Notice 836. He quotes scripture. For your sake we are what? being killed all day long. It doesn't mean you might die physically, all that's true. He says when you are with Jesus, suffering and loss is the pattern. And what will it mean? That you will die all the time. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die daily, he says. (laughs) So suffering, dying, and then what? Rising or being victorious. 37, we are more than conquerors. How do you, what's conquering suffering and death? Well, resurrection. So that's the pattern. The pattern is I suffer, I die, and I'm resurrected. Why is that important? Because, number one, let me tell you this, that should be your expectation. And let me tell you, expectations change everything in your life. So when you you get cancer or you get this and this job doesn't fall and you're not knowing this is going to happen and this tragedy takes place, all of us, most of the time, we are so shocked by all of it. And I understand that to agree. We're not robots. We're humans. But here's what the pattern is. This is what Jesus says your life in Christ is. The pattern is suffering, dying, and rising. What else is part of the pattern? Well, he says this. When you're doing all that, this is the crazy part. The pattern involves substitutionary love while you're, you're suffering and you're dying, you need to love people. That seems so hard, doesn't it? Of course it does. Christianity is not something you can do on your own, including evangelism. So Paul says you have to have, and I call it super love. In the Greek, it's the word hooper, <laughs> H-U-R-P, but we get super from it, right? And he says... Verse 31, watch, 831. If God is Hooper for us, who could be against us? 832, God gave him up, look, for us all. Same word again. Verse 34, 
who intercedes for us. So in every stage, whether it's suffering, dying, or rising, Jesus was doing something substitutionary for us. These are suffering in our place, dying in our place, interceding in our place, because that's what this type of pattern and in Christ lifestyle does. It's while you have it the worst, you are thinking of others the best and are willing, even in your most difficult time, to substitute in their place out of love. So see, now we're getting to the place where we can understand what he means in 9-1 when he says, I tell you this is the truth in Christ, that my life follows that pattern. See, my whole life is about suffering and dying and rising. In the middle of all that, when everyone else would be thinking about themselves, not me, not because I'm better, because I'm in Christ. And he says, here's what I do. I think of others. He says that I have great sorrow and anguish in my heart, for I wish I were cursed and cut off from Christ. Listen, watch. See the Lord? For the sake of my brethren in their half. If I could substitute my life for theirs and they could go to heaven and I, and I would go to hell, I would do it. Where does he get it from? From living out this in Christ, incredible super love every day of his life. Every day of his life. So what kind of love will this be in the end? Watch. Here's what it looks like in evangelism. He's willing to endure emotional pain, which we call great sorrow and unceasing anguish, but also eternal pain. If he could, he'd go to hell. You know, only five other times in the New Testament, four other times, five total, that the word anathema is used. And it's always, almost always used in a statement that says, let him be cursed. It is a pronouncement on someone to give them the deepest and most horrific judgment of God. Paul writes those three, and he tells people, if you don't believe the gospel, let you be accursed. Paul is used to saying, you be accursed, you be accursed. And now he's saying, me be accursed. See what he's saying? He knows fully what he's saying. He says, I'd go to hell for you. No, no, last thing and I'm done. For who? Oh, for people who are his kinsmen, countrymen, Jewish people who reject Jesus. Now, would you do that? I know Mike gave his, his kidney, right? And Gabe gave their kidney to family relatives or church family relatives. If someone walked in the street, you never knew him before. In fact, actually, it was the person that hit you in a car and then abandoned the scene. And not only that, but they beat up your children last week. You give them your kidney, right? Right? No. You're giving a call to the police. That's what you're doing. You know who the Jewish people are? Well, they're the, by the way, they're the people who whipped him 39 times. They're the people who stoned him, chased him from city to city, tried to kill him, had him in prison, and all the other horrible things they did to him. Now do you get it? See, you have to be in Christ and have the super love that comes from that to be able to love like that. To be able to love people 
who reject. And then he says all these things. You know how many benefits they have? Look at verses 4 and 5. They are Israelites. They have the covenants, the promises. And he lists all these things. And yet they have all these spiritual blessings and benefits, and they still reject Jesus. You know how many times Paul gave? He went to the synagogue first and said, let me tell you the gospel. And they said, no, no, no. So all these people keep rejecting everything he says. Not only do they reject it, but they reject him, beat him, stone him, want him killed, try to conspire against him, to murder him. And here's what he says. Oh, I love these people. I can't get, I love these people. I'd go to hell for these people. I'm, I'm going, I'm going reading this thing. Are you serious? Serious? I wouldn't even have them in my house. Right? Because in Christ means I'd go in hell for you. Because that's what love is. And by the way, where does he get all that from? Isn't that what Jesus did for you and me? Did, wasn't Jesus willing to take our hell? Wasn't he willing to take our sin? And by the way, what does Romans 5 say? When you were upright and had your act together, God died for you. No. What does it say? When you were sinners, when you were ungodly. Did you ever read 5.10? When you were enemies. You know where Paul got this kind of love? Jesus. Because he'd been loved that way. That's how he was loved. That's what we need to get again. I need to understand I'm in Christ because he loved me like that. He loved me to hell and back. He loved me when I put my hand in his face and all the times I rejected him. He loved me when I beat him and nailed him to the cross with my sin. He loved me like that. So therefore, I have no reason not to love you, no matter who you are, what you've done, and I want to love you. Like That's Paul's heart because it was Jesus' heart. And the question I asked, and I want to leave with you tonight, is that your heart? The biggest prayer you can pray is, God, help me to understand and love you so much. Your love for me and my love for you would grow that it would overflow into loving with your heart those lost people around me. Let's close in prayer. Father, Help us. We have all kinds of reasons for not liking people, staying away from people. Oh, we think it's risky and dangerous. Oh, Paul was risky and dangerous every day. Jesus risked and gave his life, actually. It wasn't a risk. He just gave it. Father, help us. We want your heart. We want your heart. We're so far from it. I'm so far from it. God, grant us that at least a little bit more today than ever before. That we might be able to love people and see people and therefore reach people like you did, like Paul did. That we might present them as worshipers of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.